What up, everyone? Pat Mayo here, leading off with football this week. If you hit the time codes, you can jump right to the golf if that's all you care about. Or if you're just a football fan who's here to hear about player-by-player player of the NFC South. A very intriguing division, by the way. And golf is at the end. We can just tune out after football. It's not that big of a deal, all right? Let's get to the show. Thank you. The Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings 2021 NFC South Player by Player Fantasy Preview, Team by Team Betting Preview, and Overview for this season. The upcoming fantasy football season. You missed any of the other divisions we've done so far? There's been six of them. You can find those in the description of the video and podcast. And tomorrow's show will be the AFC South, where we try to figure out what's going on with the Houston Texans with not a lot of information to figure out. Mike Leone will be back for that show as well. Remember to smash the like button for the episode. And I want you to give me the direct order of teams in the NFC South this year. I think this division is a little bit more wide open than people are giving it credit for. So give me some teams. Give me some records. One to four. Boom. In the comment section, I'm curious to see what you guys have to say about that. And before we get into the show with Jake Seeley from TheAthletic.com, if you do hit the description, there is a tweet down there. It's the pinned tweet to my profile right now at the PME. If you've ever wanted to work in the fantasy football industry, I have an opening that I'm putting out to the viewers, to the public. No experience necessary for this year, a paid position to host a fantasy football show on Mayo Media Network. So it's essentially... you film yourself doing a five-minute video, and then you send it to the address. Check out the tweet. All the explanations are in there. Submissions are due by July 10th. So if you have a friend who you think would be really good at this, pass it along to them. It doesn't matter, again, who you are, what your experience level is. If you're good, you know, we're probably going to pick you. If you're bad, we're not going to pick you. It's going to be one of those situations. But anyway, I want to throw that out there to everyone. So please, if you have any interest, enter your submission now, and maybe uh, we can be colleagues. Maybe you could be yelling at jakeseely. Not jakeseely.com. Jakeseely from theathletic.com <laughs> during the course of the year. Because frankly, there are very few things in life, Jake, that are more fun than yelling at you. <laughs> I think that right there should have just been your selling point from the get-go. By the way, I'm actually typing in jakesteely.com. Uh, no, the site can't be reached. It's porn. It's, defi- it's definitely porn. <laughs> it's definitely porn. Uh, yeah, you know what? That's, I'm telling you, that should have been your lead from that, is do you want to yell at Jake Seely, submit something? You probably would have got 100 submissions immediately. Yeah, but I don't know. Those would be mean-spirited ones. I'm looking for good submissions here because I'm going to have to wade through like 300 of these. Well, actually, I won't. Matt, <laughs> Matt, Matt Best will have to, and then he'll pass on the best ones to me. They have to – this thing is they have to understand – they have to do the yelling like you do the yelling, like where people are like uh, at point twenty minutes, 30 seconds in, Pat loses his shit. I was like, no, that's just Pat being Pat, and I, I get it. That's why we have fun together. Yeah, but people think that I get very angry with you from time to time, and I don't actually get angry. It's just fun to yell. People know it's fun know. to yell. It's fun to yell, right? <laughs> I, know. I think they get upset when, like, or not upset, think you're upset when you're like, would you just let me finish? That That's like, <laughs> but yeah. I'm used to it. That's us. That's our relationship. This is like, uh, year eight. What, what's the, yes, yeah, oh, that's fair. Yeah, year eight of us doing this show together. So yeah, we, we know each other uh, inside and out, if you know what I mean, but not that way. So not if you don't know what if I mean, don't take that the wrong way. <laughs> 
Tampa, <laughs> the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the reigning Super Bowl champions. Tom Brady, he's back. Their win total is at 11 and a half to make the playoffs, minus 560 to win the division, minus 200, three to one to win the conference, plus 650. So six and a half to one to win the Super Bowl back to back. It's essentially the same team, right? <laughs> it actually is. This was the team that we went into this offseason. There was like, there is no way they can keep this team together. They have so many free agents and there's all blah, 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 which is something that we bring up. And I've mentioned on your show before. I usually tweet about it in articles like NFL salary cap and why I put that in quotes means nothing. It's cash flow. And that's why the Bengals and the Jaguars will be under the salary cap by a large margin every single year. And then you'll have teams like the Cowboys and Washington and other teams for a while where they're like, if you actually run the numbers for some reason, they're over the cap. Well, how are you supposed to be over the cap? Cause it doesn't matter. It's really about cash flow. So they brought back everybody. I think they only let one person go walk away in free agency. It was something ridiculous like that. It was something I want to say it was 23 or no, 21 out of the 22 starters or 23 or because I think they include some special teams or something. But everybody's back is essentially the same team. And all they really did was add Giovanni Bernard and their draft picks. So for the ADPs that I'm using right now, I'm going to take an aggregation of ESPN, CBS and Yahoo. But I'll also be referencing because it's just easier to search for one thing. And these drafts are for real money. Uh, the NFC high stakes league since June 1st to see where a lot of these players are going. Hell, you know, what? I'm even going to shrink down the sample size here and make it since June 14th to see what we got going on here in terms of ADP. Because I want to talk about Tom Brady. Uh, I have a new site launching very soon where you can go customize your projections. Not a problem. If you're familiar with my golf product, which features no content, tools only, and stuff that you can customize to help you try to win, you're going to love this new football product. More on that next week, by the way. I'm super excited to reveal it to everyone. But I'm looking at the projections in here right now. And Tom Brady still comes out as quarterback number nine for the year, which I guess makes a lot of sense that that has him, you know, with very limited rushing, but two rushing touchdowns, which might be even on the low end, depending on how the season breaks for him from the one yard line and how they trust some of the running backs. But that's almost 650 attempts over 17 games, very few interceptions, upwards of you know 35 plus touchdowns, over 5,000 yards. It seems a bit lofty. I'm not going to lie to you. The <laughs> issue I have with Brady in fantasy this year, I think he's going to have a lot of spike games because this division is just going to be incredibly high scoring. It's just he's another one of these quarterbacks that doesn't do it with his legs at all. So there's no floor for him. So if he doesn't throw for 302 touchdowns every game, he's going to lose out to the Trevor Lawrences of the world who throw like 161, a touchdown, two picks, but also pick up like 80 yards rushing on the ground. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing. Is, so what we're going to come down to is – you, you know, you said it tongue in cheek, but if he he needs to throw two plus touchdowns, like if you look at his games last year, we only threw one. I think he only had one game where he didn't throw a touchdown, but he had two or three with one. And in those games, struggling to get to 10 fantasy points. And, you know, you would think that the system's going to be very similar this year. You would think that Tom Brady is going to throw nearly as much as he did last year, approach 5,000 yards. And the funny thing is, I was looking at my projections, my first run of projections. I have a QB9 too. And I know if I'm drafting, I'm looking at three names behind him that are in my projections that I would take before I took Tom Brady because of what you said. It's not only does he have to repeat last year, which was a bump up from what he'd been doing, and granted the weapons there are 10 times better than anything he was dealing with in New England before he left. Uh, but at the same time, like you said, if it's we're now at the point of fantasy where it's just not 
two or three guys or even four or five guys running for 300 yards a year talking multiple and you know there was a joke there's a tweet uh you know there was the konami code thing that rich rebar and a lot of guys made up a couple of years ago and i made the joke of saying it's almost game genie now you need like the guys to be like the special ones that are running six seven hundred plus yards because we have i'm looking down this list now and there's 10 to 12 quarterbacks running for at least 400 yards and multiple touchdowns and you said it if you're not doing it with your legs those one touchdown games where if you're even daniel jones from two years ago not last year's daniel jones but you run for 40 yards it's a free touchdown it's, it's why tyrod taylor for the longest time despite being a mediocre quarterback finished like qb 12 to 15 every single year because he ran for a touchdown every single week a, a passing touchdown well, with the projections that I have built in, it seems like that's a, I mean, is he really going to pass for more than 5,100 yards, even with the extra game? Like that's, that's asking a lot and everything to continue to go right in Tampa Bay. And I think that it can for sure. It'd be one thing if he was going a lot later than he's currently going. So I haven't projected at number nine. That's great. He's his average draft position at quarterback, number nine, his average draft <laughs> position in high stakes fantasy football leagues, number nine. So it feels it's not necessarily that he can't beat that number, but it's going to be hard for him to break into the upper echelon of a lot of these quarterbacks because he doesn't run. Like he'd have to have such an outlier season through the air and at his advanced age, he kind of shown that age doesn't really make that much of a difference to him. You talked about the weapons are great, but he would just have to outperform all previous records by so much to even get up to like the Kyler Murray level that I just don't know if I want it. It's not that he's overvalued or even undervalued. He's just kind of properly valued. So I guess taking him where he's going is fine, but I think that you can mine some more value and at least some more upside later on. Like you mentioned those quarterbacks that you have listed behind him that you would take. Who are they? Uh, so Jalen Hurts is one spot behind him. I would take Hurts. Uh, you, we talked about that on that show, and I told you all he has to do is do what Daniel Jones did last year passing, which would be over the course of 17 games. But with the running for 700 yards and seven touchdowns, he's already a QB 12. I would take Hertz for his upside. I would take Joe Burrow uh, just because he was on pace for 650 attempts last year, and I don't see Cincinnati really changing their offense much. And the other one that I would go back and forth on, there's two. Uh, I know if I was drafting, I would take Trevor Lawrence for the fun of it. Uh, but I don't know if that would be necessarily the right call. I just, because he's going later, Th that's the one where it's, I, he's going later and I would just wait and take him. But Ryan Tannehill, I think you make a case that Ryan Tannehill deserves to be in front of Tom Brady because Ryan Tannehill does run. Ryan Tannehill will run for almost 300 yards and four touchdowns. So I think it's definitively two, likely a third. Well, it's funny. I have Ryan Tannehill right now at 50 rushing attempts, 295 and a half yards rushing and three touchdowns on the ground and that still puts him i got him a pretty higher decent... in touchdowns and lower in yards i'm gonna say that still puts him like 25 fantasy points behind where i have brady uh i have him 19 fantasy points behind brady but that's because i have him for four and a half rushing touchdowns so we're close but my touchdowns offset my little decrease i only have him for 250 rushing yards so i'm a little bit behind you in rushing yards but up on the touchdowns yeah and they're going pretty close like they're going within seven picks of each other in fantasy drafts so the level is kind of you have your upper five, then you have Wilson and Herbert going around like pick 62 to 65. Then it's Brady, Hurt, Stafford, Rogers, Tannehill, Burrow, all going from pick 
80 to 90, essentially. That's where that tier of running back or quarterback is currently going. I, I think I would just gamble on Hurts, like you said, and just hope that he's good. And if he's not, then, well, you know, he's not good. I'll go pick someone up. Uh, and you can do that. It's <laughs> quarterbacks, one of the positions where you can actually do that because eventually Trey Lance or Justin Fields is going to be starting for the, their teams. And they're probably going to be pretty good fantasy wise, regardless of how good they are on the field. 100%. And there's just, if you're going with Tom Brady, that's kind of you go with Tom Brady and then you take a gamble on maybe like one of those guys and actually draft them and just stash. If you go with the Tannehill and you can say similar situation, the Hurts situation is you go the opposite. It's like if you draft Hurts, then you maybe throw your Baker Mayfield now, or see, Kirk I, Cousins I, I, and be like. I disagree with that. I think if you take Hurts, I, okay. I, I wouldn't even worry about that. I'd still try to shoot for whoever. If you were, were to take two quarterbacks, that I would still shoot for a Fields or even a Wilson or whoever it is at the very bottom who might have that unlock that upside of the passing plus rushing and then hopefully you just get two cracks at it at that point yeah but what if you go for two well then you go over two then you're not going to win most people don't win fantasy football every year <laughs> the whole goal is to try <laughs> and win so and i i think that puts you i think taking someone like fields trey lance fields wilson or whoever it is from the bottom that you want to end up going with i mean daniel jones uh i think i would probably rather have than baker mayfield as a QB two, regardless of who my QB one was in case this is the year that he puts it all together. And then I have a very valuable asset, whether I can use him and maybe I'm right on both and then I can flip one of them because they continue to score so many fantasy points every single week. But I don't want to get into a situation where like Mayfield is like the better version of Derek Carr in fantasy where they're fine <laughs> and they're going to have some decent games, but like they're not moving the needle for anyone. It's funny. Well, that's the thing. So like I'm with you and I could also understand uh, going with somebody like you just don't go over two. So I, I think it's depending on how you want to go with the quarterback position, but I'm laughing because I legitimately sat here and I was trying to think of quarterbacks. And I was like, I'm not going to say Derek Carr because I don't even want him as a backup. What's the point? So like, what's a better Derek Carr? Like in my mind, I legitimately say, what's a better, better Derek Carr? And I said, Baker Mayfield. So I'm on the same page. You know what? Screw those guys. I wouldn't even go those, you know, the second quarterback, uh, we talked about it when we talked about that division. I am severely like majorly all in on Tua. I, I think Tua has got a floor and the upside of even better than like a Daniel Jones. Yeah, I can see that. He's going a bit ahead of Daniel Jones at the moment. I don't think he's going to run as much as Daniel Jones is, though. No, he's not. He's not. But I think that if you're looking at an off, it kind of comes down to who do you think is the better quarterback? And I, I honestly think that Tua has more ability to succeed with the weapons. And I know Daniel Jones has a litany of weapons, but... That offense was, we've talked about on the show, was not built for him last year. They kind of tried to do it and straddle the fence and play both sides of it. I think Tua, everybody just wrote Tua off and forget how good he was at Alabama. He has the boy back, Jalen Waddell. And I just, if you're looking at who I believe takes a bigger step forward, I think it's Tua. And at the end of the season, like right now, I have Tua at QB 16 and Daniel Jones at QB 20. And that's with Daniel Jones running for 425 yards and three touchdowns. All right. And I have a Tua at QB 14, Daniel Jones at QB 18. And that's with 495 rushing yards for Daniel Jones and three rushing touchdowns. I do have Tua at like half the yardage, but the same amount of touchdowns, though, rushing. Yes. So funny is, so do I actually have him with 0.2 more touchdowns because I go to the decimal point. But he'll, but Daniel Jones will more than make up for that with his rushing yardage when he's scrambling around for his life and just yeah. taking off because he loves to do that. And like, then he trips before he gets to the end zone, so he totally, doesn't score the touchdown. Totally forgot about that. That was on a Thursday night. Did you really? It? Yeah. It, it just yes. the, the previous season, 
until reminded certain things just escape my memory. The best is that video that everybody keeps doing. I don't even know what the song is, but it's the, like that doot, doot, doot song where like they're going through space and he's like, it makes them float around the world and all like whatever, whoever keeps doing those videos is terrific. Running. You don't backs. know what I'm talking about, do you? I, I, I saw the one with David Jones that went that yes, way. Yes, that one. So that one with Daniel Jones and they've done it with other people too. Yeah, they did it with David Jones from FTN, my guy on Mayo Media Network when he was catching a snake. <laughs> it's actually pretty funny. Uh, running <laughs> it back, is. Running backs on the Bucks. Uh, Fournette's back. Ronald Jones is back. Keyshawn Vaughn. CJ Prosites is on this team now for some reason. Uh, and Giovanni Bernard yeah. was the big one that I think that they brought in. They immediately people's minds went to, oh, this is just James White for Tom's, Tom Brady. And they might not be wrong on that. I feel like these guys are going to have value in given weeks. So if you can kind of play Russian roulette on DraftKings with them, it's probably the way that you want to go. Or do you think that like they committed to Fournette in the playoffs and they're just going to run Fournette during the regular season now? No, I think this is we're now shaping up the reason they're making that leap for, you know, Giovanni Bernard and James White is because we're also looking at a very similar backfield to what was Tom Brady with the Patriots for the longest time. Two similar running backs, uh, basically cannibalizing their each other's value. And if everybody's healthy, the only consistent option is Giovanni Bernard because I don't think Leonard Fournette's going to go away. But Leonard Fournette's not exactly performing great. He got benched, and then he was the starter, and then he was benched, and then he was the starter. It's a back and forth. And yes, it was playoff Lenny and all that type of stuff. But Ronald Jones had his games, and he was out there for two weeks and looks good. And then he gets benched because he starts off slow, and they go back to Fournette. It's almost the hot hand approach it's just a committee backfield and when it's a committee backfield and you have two similar running backs who are better runners than they are receivers and kind of you know it's redundancy at running back really with Fournette and Ronald Jones and Ronald Jones looked better at times Leonard Fournette was even a volume runner when he was with the Jaguars the only reliable especially in half a full point PPR is Geo but of course what is Gio at this point? We might get to week one of the season and see it in preseason when Gio just doesn't look like he has much burst left. And if that's the case, the one between the two of Fournette and Ronald Jones is Fournette has been slightly better as a receiver. So maybe you lean a little bit Fournette, but it's a backfield where, you know, I know the cost isn't high, but I would just, what you said for years on end with the Patriots, don't draft any of them except for James White. Well, then don't draft anybody except for Gio. Looking at Fournette's numbers right now, and I think I gave him a pretty subdued projection, to be perfectly honest with you. 45% of the rushing share in this backfield, 4% of the targets, uh, 44% of the touchdowns on the ground, at least, 3.8 yards per carry. I mean, that sounds feasible, right? It does. Uh, I'm looking right now, and I actually have Ronald Jones outpacing him. I actually have... 45, Ronald Jones, 40, Leonard Fournette, and then, well, maybe more like 38, Leonard Fournette, and then Geo for the little smidgen of less rushing, but most of Geo val- Geo's value is coming in the receiving game. But I have, Rush- I have Ronald Jones outrunning Fournette and carries, but it's only 176 to 166. Well, just looking at it, it's funny because it projects out uh, Fournette as the 33rd best running back, and he's currently being drafted as the 34th running back, <laughs> whereas Ronald Jones is going – ahead of him at running back number 32. So I think between the two, Fournette's actually the value if you wanted to go down that route. For reference, Gio is going at running back number 55. Are you just better off not taking any of these guys? Like, do you envision a path where you're playing Giovanni Bernard at some points? Mm, I think so. I think that if you're talking about the fact, if he becomes the James White, I mean, that James, James White was a fringe RB2 for the like the entirety of when he was healthy with Tom Brady. So if he carves out that role, the issue is... 
is Leonard Fournette going to become almost a non-factor in the passing game? So, uh, Gio, in the fifth, you said 55? Yeah, Gio's picked number 55 in high stakes. He's in, like, regular season long, like on CBS and Yahoo. He's going, like, pick number 78 at running back. Yeah, see, at least in the 50s, even at the 50s, I'll take Gio. I'm kind of out on Fournette and Ronald Jones around pick 30 at running back just because a similar to your quarterback situation is I'd rather just go for maybe Damian Harris gets the bulk of that backfield finally in New England now that that offense is kind of changing a little bit. You know I love Michael Carter. We talked about it on that show. You know, uh, other guys that I'm just looking at that range, like I'd rather just go for that upside versus some two guys who I know are going to be splitting. No matter, unless one of them gets hurt, no matter what, they're going to be inferior. And the worst part it is, is this is what I said about the Bucks last year, and it still holds true. Between Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette, it's the chasing your tail situation. You're going to start Ronald Jones. He's going to do crap. Leonard Fournette's going to go off. They're going to be like, well, I'll bench Ronald Jones because I don't own Fournette. So let's go that way. And then Ronald Jones is going to go off for 100 yards and a touchdown. Oh, I can trust him again. And he's going to have a crap game, and it's going to go back to Fournette. And you're constantly trying to chase the good game because you never start him because you can't trust him until he has a good game. And then he doesn't show up the next week anyway. I'm talking about both of them. Well, you're going to feel like a schmuck the weeks that you should have had Fournette and didn't play him, and he scores three touchdowns. But I'm with you. Right, so just stay away. On this one, where one of the biggest things that people do not do in season-long fantasy football is mitigate the risk for bench mistakes. Bench mistakes are going to happen. It's a part of the game. You're going to have some guy that you were never, ever going to start in your life score 30 points on your bench. That just happens. And don't be the guy, man, I wish I would have started him over Devontae Adams it's like really that's what you wanted to do this week okay I'm um, glad glad you're uh, not from the future it would seem if you didn't do that move. if you did do that move you know I'd give you a clairvoyance of I give you the stamp of approval on that but having Fournette and having Ronald Jones or even having both of them is just a recipe for bench mistakes like you're gonna end up playing the wrong guy so often and their downside is so bad that it's really penal if you do end up playing them on a bad week that maybe you're just best off saying screw it I don't want either of them it's like that was my exact point with the Bills running backs yeah, that, I remember that. And you, know, you can look at it the other way. There was a couple of years ago. It was the year that Matt Ryan and Drew Brees both went ballistic. And I'm not saying this isn't going against what you were saying about drafting two high upside quarterbacks. That's what you want. Because you turn one into trade pieces. I just using this example is because my buddy who was in my home league who had that happen refused to trade one of them. He's like, oh, I'm just always going to have the great one. I was like, no, you're just doing what you said. It's the bench mistake. You start Drew Brees because he's at home. Matt Ryan throws for 400 yards and three touchdowns on your bench. And they're like, well, I got a Matt Ryan's on a roll. And then you start him and Drew Brees goes off on your bench. That's the higher end of it. But I think your point about bench mistakes is like that, that is something that doesn't seem to be talked about every single year that you kind of run into. It's, it's why you and I have hated Jared cook for his entire career. You either start him every damn week and you deal with the fact that he's not going to show up when you want him to, because that way you don't miss his good games or you don't draft them. You can't play those kind of games with those kind of players. Let's move on to the wide receivers. Godwin, Evans. Who's that other guy that does things? Antonio Brown. That's the guy. <laughs> Antonio, that guy. He's a guy. He's a guy on this team. <laughs> Scotty Miller's still kicking. Tyler Johnson, Jaden Mickens, Justin Watson. Just the Bucks are on TV so much that you, it, and especially when you make a deep run in the Super Bowl and you see some of these guys make big plays, that I feel like the backups on these like high-end teams really get overrated. Not that people are drafting Jaden Mickens, but like people bring up Super Bowl, like, man, Jaden Mickens could really break out this year if a few things break his way. He's like number wide receiver seven on this team. Like, just because you've seen them, it's, it's, I mean, I fall into this trap with the Chiefs too, with like, 
Demarcus Robinson. Like, you don't actually want to own Demarcus Robinson. You might use him on DraftKings from time to time, but on your season-long team, you don't want to own that guy. Uh, maybe this year. We'll see, now that Sammy Watkins is gone. Maybe I'm talking myself back into him. But, you know, it's a wide receiver five on a team. <laughs> Even if it is the best offense in the league, it's still kind of weird. Would you go Evans well, or Godwin? Because I think I'm team Godwin again. I'm I'm just flip a coin. I am so close together. I, I slightly go Mike Evans because... I thought, and I'll admit, I was, I actually thought Antonio Brown's arrival would hurt Evans more than Chris Godwin last year uh, because of the usage and everything, but mostly because of the touchdowns, but Mike Evans continued to roll. I'm going to go, the touchdowns are unpredictable every single year, but with Mike Evans and the fact that how much Tom Brady went his way, and then it seemed to lessen the amount of times he's going with Chris Godwin when Antonio Brown started showing up in December and Antonio Brown started getting touchdowns, but Mike Evans was still getting his, I'm going to slightly lean Mike Evans, but I, I'm not, I'm not planning my flag on that. I actually have, I'm looking right now. They're almost back to back. There's one player in between them. I have Godwin for more receptions, almost the same amount of yards and a touchdown and a half less Mike Evans, fewer receptions and a touchdown and a half more. So Basically, if you're a non-PPR, you go Evans. If you're a full PPR, you go Chris Godwin. Half-point PPR, flip a coin. That's how I'll put it. Uh, in half-point PPR, I still, have, I still have a pretty big gap between Godwin and Evans. I just think all things being equal, everyone being healthy in this offense, that Godwin consistently week in and week out. Like you mentioned, like if it's one of these situations where Mike Evans catches 14 touchdowns, then it's going to look really stupid. And he's going to outscore Chris Godwin in that circumstance. But I think you run the season 10,000 times, Chris Godwin outscores him. I don't want to say a heavy majority of the time, but like 65, 70% of the time in half and full point PPR, Chris Godwin is the better play. So that's where I'm leaning when I release my, I'm doing my rankings next week. Jay. It's going to be a fun time. I'll have Godwin nice. above Mike Evans in that. But does Antonio Brown factor in for you at all? Uh, I remember uh, the shit kicking I took last year when I essentially said when he became available and reinstated and signed with the Bucks, like, you have two options here. Do not pick him up and save yourself the headache or pick him up and then trade him to someone who thinks that he's still Antonio Brown. He has flashes of being old Antonio Brown, but fantasy-wise, he's another one. He's going to have four really good games. That's probably going to be it. Yeah, uh, we, you and I were on the same page. We were tweeting about that. I said the exact same thing you did. I, like, I even had to write it in an article form for The Athletic because that was the big news, of course, was I said the same thing you did. I said trade him immediately and get you know a top 20, 25 player for like, nobody's paying that. Oh, yeah, go look at the trade history and see all the people that were paying that. Exactly what you said. We're losing their minds. Like, oh, my God, Antonio Brown with Tom Brady. He's going to be amazing. He's going to be ridiculous. Uh, even in December where he finally showed up because it took him some time to get back into the NFL shape. That's a real thing. That's why it took Gronkowski half the year to be relevant. That's why it took some of these rookies a while to get going in the NFL. Some of these, some of these players, it matters not having an off season and then matters not showing up until the middle of the year, like Antonio Brown. So yes, he will be a factor, but you said it, it's kind of like the third option on a lot of high powered offenses is yes, he'll be there, but when can you count on it? He's a fine wide receiver five if you want to maybe wide receiver four you know if something happens to mike evans of course the ceiling would be great and you maybe you do what you were just talking about with this is you wait for him to go off a week or two early in the season then you sell high on him that type of thing but where he's going in adp i feel like he's going pretty high in adp for the cost associated I, I just i don't i don't think it's reasonable right now what is his adp his adp in high stakes the last two weeks is 
Tony Brown. Where are we at here? Antonio Brown, number 45, Brown. pick number 103 is the average. As high as 83, <sighs> as low as 132. I'm fine with him around that range, but like he's going ahead of Jalen Waddell and Michael Gallup, two guys that I probably would rather want than him. Mervyn Jones is down there. I'm not quite sure how I feel about him yet. I think he's in the right range. Because like you said, there is this alternate scenario where Godwin gets hurt. All of a sudden, Antonio Brown could be like a top 20 receiver, and you're dancing right. when it comes down to it. Yeah, I have Gallup nine spots in front of him. I mean, that Gallup, that's a more consistent wide receiver three. And he'll have giant games. Antonio Brown, even if everybody stays healthy, will have a 20-point game or two. As you mentioned, over the full course of the season, probably has five or six double-digit scores of like 15-plus points. It's just predicting when that's going to happen. It's it's almost like a DFA. It goes back to what you're talking about, the rest of the wide receivers on this team. And you also forgot they drafted Jalen Darden in the fourth round, which everybody's like, oh, my God, Jalen Darden. Like, what at best case scenario the fourth round receiver could be the number four wide receiver best case scenario he's gonna be the fourth wide receiver on this team like i'm with you chill out i don't care about tyler johnson scotty miller jalen darden uh i don't know if mickens makes the team uh justin watson who people are going gaga over last year because it's like you said about the chiefs it's that guy like okay yeah he had a great game but it's one out of five and you can't play that gamble great on dfs do it on dfs all day long but for a seasonal, it just doesn't make sense. It's the three. It's maybe Gronkowski at tight end. And really, that's about it. What do we do with Gronk? Because it's Gronk, great. O.J. Howard's going to be back. They, they're not going to roster all these tight ends. They still have Tanner Hudson. I think Tanner Hudson might be gone. But I think I don't know. I can't see them getting rid of O.J. Howard if he's healthy. And well, if that's it's the case, then good. you can't draft any of these guys. No, and you couldn't last year either. Because it was Gronkowski one week, and then it was Brake catching two touchdowns, even while Gronk had 60 yards. And then you mentioned Tanner Hudson was sneaking for a touchdown here and there. And so, yeah, you could only draft Gronk, and that's only, I don't know, where, where's his, his ADP is probably a, a tight end one, isn't it? Gronk is, I can research this for you. I, I should have had this up. I apologize to you. Tight end. To right me or to now. your viewers uh no gronk is going as tight end 17 okay i'm a tight end 19 so. uh, that, that i think that's actually a fair range for him that's around like blake jerwin and cole Komet and johnu smith and guys like that so at least that's in the high stakes leagues though so in regular leagues he is qb or tight end seven off the board seven yeah. <laughs> no listen to the high stakes leagues on that one yeah so just a huge pass on the Tampa Bay guys. If someone gets hurt, check them out, that kind of thing. And you might have to pick one up. Or if they're 2500 bucks on DraftKings, you play them. And that will be that. Let's be honest. You're not getting as good of a sleep as you need to be. Whether your problem is falling asleep, staying asleep, or just not feeling rested once you wake up, that's me. You're not alone. More than half of Americans, I'm not even American, and I still experience this, but more than half of Americans report having trouble with getting enough sleep. At Brickhouse Nutrition, our team of on-staff physicians is on a mission to get heads on pillows, and we'd like to introduce Dreams Sleep Aid. By taking science-backed ingredients like melatonin and combining them with natural ingredients from the earth like valerian root and jujube fruit, Dreams is a perfect blend for the perfect sleep. Go to BrickhouseSleep.com and get 15% off your first order at checkout with promo code MAYO. It's time to sleep like a brick! BrickhouseSleep.com Promo code MAYO Welcome to StockX, the only 
live marketplace for what's now and next. Whether it's the latest sneakers, apparel, electronics, collectibles, or trading cards, everything on StockX is brand new and 100% verified authentic. With StockX, you have the power to shop millions of hard-to-find or sold-out products at their true market value. Discover products that are on the trend and ahead of the trends by shopping on StockX. Download the app or sign up online to start buying and selling in a few easy clicks. Start shopping at StockX.com. Access the now. Again, StockX.com. Let's talk about the Atlanta Falcons and see what they're getting up to this time around. Matt Ryan is back, obviously. Julio, no more on this team. It's going to be the Calvin Ridley Kyle Pitt show and then featuring a few cameos from Justin getting the gauge with Justin Gage and someone else and that guy that I always play who I think is good whose name I can't remember anymore it'll come back maybe Zacchaeus yes rock me Dr. Zacchaeus that guy (laughs) he had I remember he finally had a good game it was amazing seven and a half is the over under plus 240 to make the playoffs eight to one to win the division 25 to one to win the conference 60 to one to win the Super Bowl I don't think that the Falcons are going to be good as a real life team but fantasy wise they should be amazing and well mostly because also it's a very like funneled offense you have ridley pitts mike davis matt ryan there's your four right there and matt ryan even though he's a qb2 he's gonna be high in qb2 because they're gonna continue passing like he always does a million times and then it really comes down to russell gage pretty much i have russell gage repeating what he did last year and then He's sprinkling some Zacchaeus. I actually think that Zacchaeus is going to see some work, like some nice work as he obviously is going to see work, but some nice fantasy value work out of the slot. He's a really nice slot receiver. And now that you clear out Julio Jones, you kind of kick out Russell Gage outside a little bit. And that's why Russell Gage pretty much repeating what he did last year, his 110 targets with only a very, very slight uptick. I think Gage holds steady. And Zacchaeus sees possibly the biggest boost with obviously Pitts being the biggest, biggest boost of no Julio. How high is too high for Matt Ryan as a fantasy quarterback? Like, is top Tom 10? Brady. Is, so Tom Brady. Like, he's a Tom Brady equivalent. Yeah, 100%. That's who, he's been that for essentially his entire career. Okay. Do you want him? What's his ADP? His ADP. ADP at quarterback high stakes. We're looking there. Actually, in low stakes, he is quarterback number 14. In high okay stakes... Yeah, 14 is fine. And then in high stakes, he is quarterback number 15, pick 120. So he's going like 30 picks after Brady. Um, and that's, I'd rather take him than Tom Brady's cost because they are essentially the same quarterback. We've already seen that. We've seen Matt Ryan approach the 5,000 yards and 30-plus touchdowns, and this defense is not going to be much better than it might honestly could possibly be worse than it was last year. And even if it's not like if it's just in that range, they're going to continue to throw the ball a ton. Uh, I know they're talking about potentially, you know, mixing up some things with the new offensive plans, but it's still Matt Ryan. Like I, how many pass attempts? I have Matt Ryan for 632 pass attempts this year. 632? That's a lot. I have. I remember, we have a 17th game. Oh, yeah, that's true. I keep forgetting about that. When's that? It's not even like the St. Louis Rams or the San Diego Chargers or the Oakland Raiders. Like, that's one that I really need to get imprinted on my mind. People are not going to give me a pass on that one. Uh, where do I have Matt Ryan? <laughs> yes, 669 pass attempts I have. Oh, see, you thought mine was high. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. I mean, if he gets to 660, 
he's probably inside the top 10 of quarterbacks. The the problem is it's exactly the same thing with Brady, right? Where he's just never going to yeah. run. So the bad weeks are going to be He actually runs for fewer touchdowns than Brady does. Brady yeah. sneaks in two or three every single year. I suppose that's true. He, he does call his own number from the one a lot of the time. I don't know. I'm just trying to figure this out. Do, do I want him or would I want like someone like Hurts? Like who's a better value, Ryan or Hurts? I'd take Hurts. You would take Hurts. Because here's the thing. Hurts has the potential to be top five. I don't know that Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan has finished top five, but I don't think we're getting that Matt Ryan. That Matt Ryan one year, that was the one where that offense just went bananas. That was the that was the absurd touchdown ratio that a lot of people always reference of how there is such a thing as positive regression. Okay, let's move to running back because I think this one's super interesting because no one wants Mike Davis. Because people are dumb. Okay, I, I like where you're going with this because the projections <laughs> projections love Mike Davis, but I'm trying to wrap my head around it too. So Mike Davis, Cordero Patterson uh, has been brought in. So, you know, everyone will talk him up like he's going to get carries and he'll have like two over the course of the season. Quadri <laughs> Olison is probably the only other back that's going to do anything. What happened to Judge Ito? Where did he go? Edo Smith is gone. I don't, I don't remember where he landed, honestly, off the top of my head. Poor guy. I can do a quick search on where, where did Edo go? I don't know. No, they're nowhere. Uh, nowhere, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, he's he's just, he's nowhere right now. Pick him up. Someone needs to get Judge Mayo. I'll <laughs> sign him to Mayo Media Network. You just, you just made me think of Dumb and Dumber. Pick him up. There's some more hitchhikers. Pick him up. There you um, go. <laughs> in terms of ADP, this is why I say that, I, not say that no one wants him. It's just he's in a really tricky situation because no one thinks he's actually any good. Me included. Mike Davis in high, in, in, happy. in high stakes leagues, running back, number 26 off the board. Look, here's what it comes down to. If Mike Davis is healthy, he is going to be one of the biggest values this year. And that's really what it comes down to. Like outside of getting hurt, Kadri Olsen is going to take a few carries, maybe a few goal line. Maybe that's why people are worried, but it's not going to be enough. It's not going to be much more than he was doing with banged up, no knee Todd Gurley last year. You know, I like Javian Hawkins undrafted free agent, great pass catcher. He might not even make the team as much as I like him. And I think he would be a perfect compliment to Mike Davis, who, by the way, let's go back to Mike Davis, is also a good pass catching running back. So you get 270-ish touches. You know, I'd say, um, let's pull out the projections. Yeah, 229 rushing attempts, 47 receptions. That's going to put Mike Davis solidly inside the top 20 because, you know, Cordell Patterson, what does he get? Oh, you just mentioned it. 40 rushing attempts over the entire year. A few catches. He's essentially Tavon Austin. It, you know what people are treating him as? It's like people remember the Tavon Austin year where he had the four rushing and four receiving touchdowns and he finishes like, what was it, wide receiver 30-something? Like, that's what they're treating Cordell Patterson and not remembering the fact that even when Tavon Austin did that, you still really couldn't start him. I guess the one thing it comes down to is you can allot the running backs and the Falcons offense for a decent target share. And that's where some of the value is going to be derived. Like, is Mike Davis actually a good pass catcher? Or is he someone that they passed to last year because that's how their offense worked? No, he's a, he's a good pass. He's not Christian McCaffrey. He's probably not even Saquon Barkley, but he's above average pass catcher. I, I don't have the numbers on this, but I have him currently in as a 10% market share. Uh, I have well, him at... You have him above. I have him at 8.4, so you have him higher than I do. But what's the actual rate that the Falcons throw to running backs? It feels like Matt Ryan doesn't throw to running backs. I don't have that number off the top of my head. That's just just my sense from following the Falcons, that they don't don't scheme a lot for running backs in the passing game, and they don't dump it off a lot. 
Uh, I'm seeing, I know I, I had the article pulled up, or not article, I had the numbers pulled up because I was looking at Jared Goff, and I remember telling you about that and telling you that Jared Goff was basically the worst of the worst of the worst of quarterbacks throwing to running backs. I'm trying to see if I can find where he was. I mean, I could tell you last year's target percentage. Yeah. Target percentage for the running backs last year. Todd Gurley had 13.5%. So... Uh, so you know, he had 11% on pass plays, 13.5% of his snaps. So, I mean, Edo Smith was actually at 15.1% of his snaps. So, okay, so, I misrem- that's, so that's I, a so, decent number. So I'm misremembering that. that that's just something yeah. that the numbers don't back up. What I have in my mind is what I think is fact. That is just not true. It's not a huge number, but it's it's enough to make it relevant in the passing game. So well, let's, let's say because the Julio's targets don't necessarily have to go somewhere, but they are going to go somewhere. So how much yeah. of, like do you think it do you think that where is it? Mike Davis plays all 17 games, gets 67 targets. I think that's a little bit aggressive, but reasonable. I have him at 58 targets. Yeah, so if he can follow in that range, you're right. He is going to be a really good value. Yeah. And that's with Kyle Pitts getting 110 plus targets. I think Hayden Hurst is going to get up to the 60-70 range because I could see them running more 12. Uh, than they were and at that point if you get him into the 60 70 range he's pushing 10 percent of the target share but i'm gonna go back to what i was saying before russell gage i have almost repeating last year i only have him going for 116 targets which is only six more than he did last year but i have 78 for zacchaeus i really think that he is going to be the factor and focal point in the slot option out of this for this team now granted that slot option and for that rate only gets him to the 50s in receptions and 600 something yards and three touchdowns but that's put you probably in wide receiver five ish territory. Yeah. Like I projected that with like with Gage and Zacchaeus, wide receiver sixty five, wide receiver number seventy one is where the numbers kind of spit them out. I just I can't wrap my mind around Mike Davis being running back number fifteen. And this is someone that I used a ton <laughs> last year, being like, look, he's one of the few running backs in football who plays every down, gets all the goal line work and catches passes Here's up an the interesting one. It's it just I go ahead. Let me ask you a question. It's your show. You asked me the questions, but let me, I'll throw it out. He's one spot in front of this guy for me. Would you take Josh Jacobs or Mike Davis? I would, I would end up with more Mike Davis because he's going significantly later. But right. I, th- I think that's where, and honestly, Davis's upside might be higher. And this all just boils back down to, I can't get it out of my head that he's just not any good. <laughs> that's why i made the happy gilmore reference it's like the finger paintings <laughs> they're not any good uh look so josh jacobs chris carson miles sanders i have him in that range miles sanders i think is a legitimate concern we talked about on that show of this team just doesn't seem to be confident after what he looked like in the passing game last year carson carson we know is top 12 this dude just can't stay healthy i don't ever project injuries you know that but if you're talking about somebody where you were like uh I don't think he's making it the full season. I'm okay if you said that about Chris Carson. I was okay if you said that about Todd Gurley last year. Certain guys are matter that matter in that range. So I think that the Mike Davis with the Sanders, Carsons, Jacobs, uh, Miles Gaskin stuff. I think that most of those guys, I'm taking Davis. It's just he the backfield is his. Well, looking at the CBS and fan tracks and that kind of ADP, Mike Davis is going behind the. Names like Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette, Raheem Mostert, Miles Gaskin, Melvin Gordon, Chase Edmonds. In higher stakes leagues the past two weeks, guys that are going ahead of Mike Davis, Gaskin, Kareem Hunt, Javante Williams, Travis Etienne, Josh Jacobs, Chris Carson, Miles Sanders, David Montgomery. So it seems like 
he's a worthwhile value if you want to take that gamble. I feel like real hardos in the fantasy football community just like can't take him. Like you don't want to take a running back there, but it's a lot. He rem- kind of reminds me of David Montgomery from last year. I think that's a decent comparison. Although I actually think he's a better pass catcher than David Montgomery. So that's really what it comes down to too. And I also don't think that people are factoring in Tariq Cohen's return for David Montgomery enough. I think David Montgomery can still succeed as a runner, but I think we, people also forget that he's an above average runner. He's not an excellent runner and he's decent in the passing game, but Tariq Cohen's far better than him. If you tell me between David Montgomery and Mike Davis, again, I would probably, if I'm doing a draft and they're at the same spot, I'd probably go 50, 50. I don't hate Montgomery that much, but to your point earlier about Josh Jacobs, I know I'm getting the discount on Mike Davis, and I'm going to take it every single time. So if we just look at overall, so let's not sort by running backs. Let's sort by all positions and get to Mike Davis here and see what's going on. Mike Davis is going around the likes. Uh, if we just start at pick number 56. So Lockett, Jamar Chase, Miles Gaskin, Kenny Galladay, Tee Higgins, Mike Davis, Hawkinson, James <laughs> Robinson, Brandon Ayug, and Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert. So that's the range that he's going in. Most people are not taking running backs there. No, and that's why we go back to strategy and whether you want to call it stud running back, elite running back, bell cow running back, whatever it might be. We've talked about this before, and I've referenced, I don't remember who the person was that talked about that dead range in the fourth and fifth round for running backs, that it's like a 20, 25% hit rate. That's why you get, if you're, believe in it that's why you go get a running back in the first or the second round who falls into that whatever name you want to do it whatever hashtag fun you want to have it's why you get a running back there because the receivers in the fourth or fifth round all those guys you just mentioned all things being equal no matter what my roster looks up to looks like up to that point i would take all those receivers before i take mike davis and i just talked what five minutes with you about how much i like mike davis's value i'd rather have the receivers i trust all those receivers more and i think all those receivers have potentially a higher ceiling than Mike Davis, or at least equitable. So that's why you get the running back earlier is because if you have one in your pocket, maybe even two, but at least one in your pocket, you can draft receivers in the fourth or fifth round. Because if you go wide receiver for the first three rounds or wide receiver, tight end wide receiver, you're kind of almost pushing yourself into these running backs. And the hit rate is just so low, especially in comparison to the wide receivers that are on the board. Calvin Ridley, no Julio, how high do you have him ranked? (laughs) He didn't move much for me. I Calvin Ridley, I already had at number four. He so. moved up one spot to number three. He bumped Stefan Diggs for number three. That, that's ahead of the market, though, because the market is drafting him as wide receiver number five in between Hopkins and Metcalf right now at pick number 20. Why are we still doing Hopkins that high? I love Hopkins, but why are we doing Hopkins in front of Ridley? In this circumstance, I agree with you. I will have Ridley ahead of Hopkins in my rankings. Yeah, will you have him in front of Diggs? I don't know. Probably not. No, I think you got to get on board with that one. Let's do it. Come on. What? Ridley, Ridley is Ridley is Drew Brees at the peak of his quarterback career where it's he's good with or without Julio. Drew Brees was good at home and on the road. It's just at home, he was otherworldly. Calvin Ridley without Julio Jones is otherworldly. Like Calvin Ridley without Julio Jones, the numbers honestly push him on the heels and right in the conversation with Tyreek Hill at number two. Assuming Devontae Adams is number one with Aaron Rodgers, obviously that gets thrown out the window if there's no Aaron Rodgers. But going with this thought process, as you mentioned on that show, um, Calvin Ridley is, Calvin Ridley could finish number one with no Julio Jones. Oh, I I agree with you. I actually have Diggs and Ridley separated by 0.8 fantasy points in half point PPR. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. 
Like it's it's a pretty Make congested a group. Like <laughs> Adams is a little bit higher than everyone else, assuming Rodgers is going to be the quarterback. But Hill, Diggs, and Ridley are all sort of in a mini group within eight points of each other. Then Hopkins and Jefferson and Michael Thomas are all in like a mini group of them, about ten points behind them. Yeah, that's. I think that's just about as tight as we've seen it up the top for a few years. Doesn't feel like it's been like it usually felt like there was a big one, two, or three for a while. Yeah, and that's considering Diggs, Ridley, Jefferson, AJ Brown, Metcalf were guys that were being drafted like 17 wide receiver 17 and higher last year too so we're not even considering that a couple of these guys are for sure going to drop back because that's what happens and then you'll have your adam thielens or brandon cooks or someone who's young potentially whether it be cd lamb like just one, lamb. Of, one of these guys is just going to jump up and be wide receiver five i like how we jinxed on that one oh, i was just reading names off the, the list you just really wanted me to say cd lamb <laughs> i think that's what it was his price is going to be so cost prohibitive by the time we get to the second week of august mostly because of course amari cooper is still banged up right now it's been a while since that surgery um but you're right i mean there's a lot of receivers in this range but again you go down to it let's talk about the ones you were making in comparison to mike davis i wouldn't be shocked if at least one of those names if not two of them finish inside the top 10 that's what happens every single year somebody in that 20 to 30 range if not two or three guys pop up into wide receiver one territory just because it's a volume situation if one of them starts getting a heavier target share even not with injuries if one of them just kind of steps in front of the other like calvin ridley finally stepped in front of julio jones last year even when julio jones was healthy that target share moves just a little bit two or three percent and all of a sudden one of these guys down here is right in that mix i mean i keep bringing up deontay johnson deontay johnson's 11 healthy games he was wide receiver eight you get him for a full season he could be in that mix too so wide receiver is always fun in this range uh, Zacchaeus going as wide receiver number 126 in high stakes league with Gage going as wide receiver number 49. Uh, Zacchaeus is just the pick. It, I mean, you'll have to pay attention Zacche- to training, training camp reports to make sure that he wins that starting job, or at least that he's going to be in a split situation or he's the one playing on the outside ahead of Blake. Uh, cause Gage is just going to play the slot more than likely that if he is the guy on the outside, like that's a free pick that you have. That is someone who could like, theoretically be a wide receiver three. Well, see, and that's what I actually go back to what I was saying earlier. I actually think that Zacchaeus is going to see a lot of slot work if he wins that job. I don't think it'll be all the time. I do agree with you that Gage will see it, but I think Gage will see it more in two two wide receiver sets where, you know, the, the formation doesn't have him playing on the outside. It's kind of that slot push into it, pushed in a little bit, that if it's three wide, I think that's where you see Zacchaeus take the slot from him. Okay. Uh, tight end, how high do you have Pitts? I had him at four. And I have him at four after. The only difference that changed for me from Julio Jones leaving is he went from barely ahead of Andrews at five to now he's on the heels of Waller and Kittle. Uh, the market agrees with you. He's being drafted as tight end number four, pick number 50 on average, but getting up as high in the past two weeks is 33. That's scaled back from the past month when he was eking up as high as 18 overall. <laughs> Good God. If there's nothing else from the Kyle Pitts situation, the risk assessment, the value assessment, no matter whatever you want to look at it, if you are in a dynasty league, you take trade offers right now. There's people I've seen tweets where they said, I offered a first rounder from 2022, a wide receiver, top 20 guy that I don't remember and something else and got declined. Like you could get a haul for Kyle Pitts right now. I just, do you just worry that rookie tight ends are just rarely that good? 
Or is like, why is this situation different than Vernon Davis when he went to the Niners? The difference is twofold is so also different NFL than there was at the time. Uh, But Kyle Pitts is to say what I said at the draft time, he's a wide receiver masquerading as a tight end. The thing about Kyle Pitts is he plays tight end because he's good and just such a matchup problem, but also a good blocker that he's an elite tight end. You put him at wide receiver, he'd still be a damn good wide receiver. So that's part of it. The other part of it here is because he's a good blocker, it's going to keep him on the field, but he's not such a good blocker that he's going to be asked to block all the time where you see a lot of rookies who come in at tight end. And part of the reason that we also see don't success from rookie tight ends is one is because of target share, but two is because it's more difficult than wide receivers to acclimate to the NFL because you need to block because you need to make sure that you're picking up who's rushing when and what the, the, the shift is and what the assignments are when certain formations are coming at you on the defense. So because he's already advanced past the point of most in that aspect, and he's good enough to stay out there, you look at Evan Ingram's season for the Giants, and one of the things I talked about for Evan Ingram is why you don't expect that for a lot is Odell Beckham got hurt that year, and then Sterling Shepard got hurt later where he essentially turned into the number one wide receiver. Well, that's also an offense that threw for low 500s. So you talk about that. That was back with Amari, tu- Amari Amani Tumor and um, oh no, uh, I'm talking about Shockey now. Amani Tumor well, hold, hold and Ike Hilliard was which you can't you can't say his name like that. It's Armani. It's not a tumor, is how you pronounce his name. <laughs> well, that's why you have to say it. So <laughs> I was going to pull in Shockey because it's the same team as a low 500s, and that's where I was going with that one. Is he's the number two essentially on this team? He's walking in as the number two, kind of like Shockey did back then with not a tumor. And I kill you just the number three. So that's why you're talking about target share. You're talking about ability. You're talking about an offense that throws for 630 times seems to be the floor for me, 660 times for you. And you get him 110 to 120 targets. He's finishing top five. That's what it comes down to. Okay. So here's my dilemma with this. I actually have him projected out very similarly to you. So I have him at a 16% target share. I also have Hayden Hurst at an 11% target share. I think that Hurst is still going to have a role in this offense. As you said, I'm a 10. Uh, you, uh, you said they might just play a lot more 12 formation. I agree with you. I'd be curious to know what the passing rate to running backs out of the 12 is just because you're going to have either one of those tight ends blocking or running a really short route that might double as a running back screen at the same time. I'll I'll have to, I'll text Warren and see if he has some sharp numbers for me uh, on that one. Cause I (laughs) sure as hell don't want to go look it up, but that's something that I would just want to know. Uh, cause logically, I, I mean, just thinking about how football works that's something that would seem logical to me and again it could be like before when i thought about the falcons backfield i could be completely wrong on that i'd want to get the numbers but that's just an idea that popped in my head now i'd like to go have some confirmation on it but i have that projected out so i let's say yeah 16 percent target share in this offense with them throwing like 670 times that still spits him out as tight end number seven that's 107 targets 59 catches it's the touchdowns that i don't have him really high on the board for i have him for four yeah for four yeah so i would definitely uptick the touchdowns and i actually think that reception rate is pretty low for him so you would have him at like 75 receptions on 107 targets yeah, I actually have him for, I'm looking at mine right now. I have for 112 targets and 78.5 receptions. So I had him at a 55% catch rate. Let's just bump that up to 70 just to see what it says. Just because it's fun to screw around with numbers, right? 68. Give him 68. Oh, Jesus Christ. Now it's giving me nan in my field here. 68%. <laughs> now that's, that's 68.1%. Now that's, that's typed in. 
I can figure this out. Okay, so let's do that and search by positions. What does that make Kyle Pitts? Kyle Pitts still only moves up to tight end number five, slightly ahead of Noah Fant and Robert Tunyon. Who and are right behind Mark Andrews? Right behind, no, right behind Kittle. I have Andrews at three. Hmm. I don't like Andrews at three. I'm yeah. legitimately concerned. That's a completely different show. I, I think that Bateman addition does more to hurt Andrews than it does to anything else in that offense. Yeah, well, the the kind of points that I made when we did the show, oh, hi, Barkley, uh, is that I'm not going to draft Andrews or Kittle. I'm just going to draft Kelsey or Waller, or I'm just going to wait till the very end. Yeah, that's that's certainly fair. That's the thing. Is, I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm a little bit more optimistic for Kittle than I seem. I seem to be the high one on Kittle for some reason. Yeah, I'm just looking. I, I would still, like, gun to my head, I'd probably take Kittle over Andrews. Like, I don't see a reason why TJ Hawkinson doesn't score more than Kyle Pitts here. Just through attrition. Like, the numbers that you're projecting out target-wise for Kyle oh. Pitts, I can see more targets going to Hawkinson. <laughs> don't tell the Sorry, dog. No don't, don't tell Barkley to shut up. She needs to learn. She's like, I don't know that she just woke up from a nap and just, like, started barking. <laughs> Quiet. Sit down. Anyway, I don't think I'm going to make Pitts a priority at pick, like, number 35 in drafts. Uh, well, so, and that's part of it, too. Is like, now, at pick 35, you know, if you were drafting, even with the excitement, if you were drafting a month ago, I'm leaning over because I'm petting her and trying to get her to calm down. Uh, the price was more reasonable, like, the fourth, fifth round, and I'm okay with it there. But to your point now, oh, sorry, everybody, I said to your point for maybe the third time in the show. Uh, for Kyle Pitts at that cost, yeah, of course. And now you're getting where he has to essentially be one of the the fifth one, one of four tight ends before him who have put up 700 plus yards. There's only been four to put up 700 plus yards as a rookie tight end. So that's the downside. That's the risk. Again, I go back to the talent. He's not your normal tight end. He is the cliche generational talent, uh, and he can break the mold even if everybody is healthy on this team because he's stepping in, in my opinion, as the second best receiver on this team but and yeah in the third round now you're getting kind of pricey how about pick 49 where that's the average pick for him so it would go julio at chris godwin lamar jackson dak prescott kyle pitts deontay johnson dj moore cooper cup javante williams adam thielen kareem hunt that's his range i'm taking those receivers me too i would take him over the running backs uh eh, maybe not williams i like javante williams there if if gordon is getting pushed aside that's what it is if gordon shows up uh, that's uh, uh, you know me we talked about it on that show as i think williams was going to take over by the middle of the season but that price right now it's almost kind of like he's already taken over in week one uh so if melvin gordon keeps holding out keeps being melvin gordon i'll take javante williams but the, the the point being i'm still i'm taking all those wide receivers over kyle pitts that price is still a little pricey it seems okay let's move to the saints we don't know what they're we only doing. Done two teams. <laughs> yeah, we only have two teams. We'll, we'll power through these ones because we don't know what the situation is going to be in the Saints quarterback situation. I mean, we probably do. Their win total is nine, plus 114 to make the playoffs, three to one to win the division, 13 to one to win the conference, 28 to one to win the Super Bowl. It leaves us with Jameis and Hill under center. This team, fantasy wise and real life wise, is better with Jameis. How good they're going to be, that I do not know. But I do know that I kind of am digging Michael Thomas as the guy who could be and who could end up as wide receiver one again this year. I and I love Michael Thomas. You know that I'm I'm lockstep with you. I think the hate for Michael Thomas of everybody's like all he does is run slants and all that blah blah. Slant and boy, just ignore everything. Yeah. <laughs> 
let's even say all he does is run slants. Let's say all he does is run Tyree Kill routes. Okay, that's fine for Tyree Kill. Michael Thomas is a hell of a bigger and better wide receiver overall. Uh, and you're talking about, yes, Winston is better, but let's say it's a combination of Winston and Hill for the entire year. Let's just even say that that's kind of like not what we want for fantasy. It's not also what we want trying to project out the quarterbacks for this team. But let's just say that happens. Michael Thomas is still getting 140 targets at least in this offense because Kamara is getting his, but then Traquan Smith, Deontay Harris. I like Troutman a lot. And part of the reason I like Troutman a lot is because he's a great matchup problem as a receiving tight end, but there's just targets sitting here on this team after Michael Thomas getting his ridiculous share. Michael Thomas is probably going to have, what do you have him for target percentage wise? I have him for 24 and change. Uh... And that even feels like it could be low. What do I have him? I have him at 27%. There you go. I have him for a little bit low. What do you have at Alvin Kamara at? I have Alvin Kamara at 16.1. Uh, 21%. So you have it even more funneled than I do. Well, I, it really depends. Like, if Jameis is the quarterback, do you think that hurts Kamara's receiving totals? Just because I just recall. And maybe it's because of the weapons that Tampa had at the time that Jameis just wants to push the ball down the field. He does, but he throws the running backs more than the perception is. So it hurts in relative terms to Drew Brees. No matter what the quarterback is, it yes. hurts. Drew Brees was top three to throw into running backs, percentage-wise. Jameis isn't as bad as people assume. He's actually middle of the pack, which isn't great, but it's not terrible. It's going to be a drop from Drew Brees. But you can still get 90 targets over the full season, maybe push even 100 with Jameis at quarterback. The issue, the concern is that Taysom Hill really doesn't throw to the running back, and he's the bigger concern is if he plays half the snaps, now you're more concerned about Kamara. If Jameis is the quarterback, I'm not that concerned. There's no way that they're playing, like, dueling quarterbacks, right? Like, that's crazy. <laughs> I mean, what's a Steve Spurrier tried it? He tried to pull that rotating quarterbacks that he did in college and tried to pull it into the NFL. You never know. Whatever it is, Sean Payton loves Taysom Hill. I, you know, I, it's, I'm not going to put it past him. Okay. If Jameis I don't is, look, put it this way. Well, I don't think it's full rotation, but I could see the end of this. I'll tell you right now. I have 453 pass attempts for Jameis Winston. I have 121 from Taysom Hill. I think he's going to be out there for about a fourth of the time. Is there any situation where if they name Jameis the starter week one, are you just jumping in on Jameis and hopefully like, hey, Jameis is good and Jameis will throw for like 5,000 yards? Like, is there that scenario oh, I'm already, with Jameis? Yeah. I would so to go back to our earlier conversation at quarterback. I would just wait and take Jameis instead of all those guys because if Jameis is the starter for the entire year and this LASIK eye surgery does help, and that was part of the problem for his decision making. The problem with Jameis has always been his decision making that, but yet he finished as a top five quarterback in fantasy, even with 30, 30 interceptions, because it didn't matter because he's flinging the ball downfield, as you mentioned, and still throwing touchdowns. So unless you get penalized negative four for an interception, Jameis starting the entire season, even if Taysom Hill takes three or four snaps from him per game, even so that Jameis will probably be inside the QB1 conversation. Let's talk running backs. Kamara, who we brought up, he's going as a top five running back. He could be running back one with the style of game that he has. I do worry that his best fantasy years are behind him now that Drew Brees isn't there. I'm, I think that's a legitimate concern, and that's why I said I would put him as the fifth running back in a tier of his own. I think it's the big four. We talked about that before. Then Kamara, 
And then I think you start getting in the conversation with the rest, like Jonathan Taylor and Ezekiel Elliott and Aaron Jones and stuff like that. But well, no, hold on. I feel what, like what, yeah. what makes Camara significantly different than Eckler? Because I think even his worst case scenario floor is better than theirs. Okay. But would you rather have Elvin Kamara at pick? He's going as running back number three in high stakes leagues, so which is pick number three and a half. So let's call it pick four just to be generous. So Elvin <laughs> Kamara at pick number, and this is a decision you're going to have because either you have pick number three or you have like pick number 12 or whatever it is, or you get, El, you get Austin Eckler at pick number 10. Like I'd rather have the yeah. 10th pick and get Eckler in the higher pick in the other side because I think that they're going to be super close. Well, and that's, yeah, that's, of course, now you're bringing cost into it a hundred times. Yeah, I would take that every, I just got the pros versus Joe's. I got my draft slot today. I'm on the 11th pick. I'm happier than having the fourth, fifth, sixth pick. I actually want people to ask me like, what do you want to draft this year? Uh, of course, I don't really want number one, although I could be okay with it because Christian McCaffrey, I actually want number three to see, you know, somebody I've actually seen Christian McCaffrey not go number one. I want three because I don't want to make the decision at four between Henry and Kamara to your point about this, oh, that's number four, possibly. Uh, I'd rather just be at, tw- at 11, 12, somewhere around there and take the Austin Eckler. Aaron Jones is falling to that round. Jonathan Taylor is sometimes making that far. Ezekiel Elliott, I saw it go at the beginning of the second round recently. I'd rather be taking those running backs because I don't think there's as big as a gap from them to Kamara than there is from that big three. You know, Jonathan Taylor is going as the fifth running back. That seems crazy to me. That doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't actually surprise me. Like I, once he took I, over I, last I'd, year, I'd rather, he, yeah, yeah, but they took a bit more. Are we pretending like Marlon Mack doesn't exist and this isn't what Frank Reich is just going to do? No, I mean, we shouldn't pretend like Marlon Mack doesn't exist because Marlon Mack is not that good. He's period. not that good, but you think that he's not going to get run in this offense because he will get run in this offense. I don't think he will at this point. At this point, Jay, after seeing what Jonathan Taylor is, you, they, they, you are just setting yourself up. You want Zeke. Hey. You want Berkeley. Jonathan Taylor and Cam Akers and Najee Harris, I think, should all be around the same. Not way. Taylor shouldn't be way above those two guys. See, I disagree in the fact that Jonathan Taylor, like, it's the, what we said about Doug Peterson for the longest time. Oh, Doug Peterson, split backfield, split backfield, split backfield, and then he gets one. Or you go to the opposite end of it with Andy Reid. Ah, he likes to lean on one guy, and then it's a freaking committee backfield. Like, talent will make coaches do different things will change their game plan i think it's taylor and hines and you might see mac two or three times in a game maybe unless i I think i think that you're going to see that mac average like six seven carries a game which is enough to fire fire frank right on the spot jake that's not how that's the talent disparity they they love doing to keep them fresh got to keep them fresh for later in the game no I have I have Jonathan Taylor for 280 carries and 40 receptions, 320 touches. All right. Would you take him over Camara? No. All right. Latavius. I would Mur- take the cost. Well, no, the cost difference isn't there. You just D- said he was number five. D- does Latavius Murray retain his championship as best handcuff in football? <laughs> no, we've talked about this before. I think he's one of the worst handcuffs in football because, well, no, I see. No, no, you're scratching your face for this reason. Because you can never use him. Yeah, I know. I'm not trying, Jake. I've told you a million times. I'm not trying to use Latavius Murray in my lineup unless Kamara's hurt because he's a handcuff. If you draft him as if he is not, if you draft him as if he is not a handcuff, you're stupid. If you have him on your team and just wait for Kamara to go down, you have a top five running back. You do, but that's where I was getting to. That's I was finishing the point. Unlike you got to, you know what? You got to get to the point faster, pal. (laughs) <laughs> unlike James Robinson, who should still have value 
even as if Travis Etienne gets hurt, James Robinson goes back to 2020 James Robinson, who is an RB1. The difference is you can still use James Robinson because of a split backfield situation. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, if one of those two goes down, you have a top five running back. We've seen it. You can still use Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt every single week. I hate Latavius Murray because of his cost. That's the problem is if Latavius Murray was going at a more reasonable cost, yes, we know he has top five potential if Kamara gets hurt, but you have to spend so much to sit somebody on his on your bench. That's why I never have owned Latavius Murray. He just costs too damn much. And I own him every single year, and he ends up being a net profit for me because he gets his two, three games. I play him. He's he didn't profit him. you last year? Yeah, he had his two and a half games of being really good. If you're gonna was seventh rounder, if you're gonna draft yeah, a seventh that's rounder, not, that's not where he's going. Games. He's going to pick number one thirty. Last year he was going in the no, ninth. Is he round. really? Yeah. He's going behind Singletary and Jamal Williams and Tony Pollard and Gus. Well, if he's Edwards. going that, I think that's what it is. Then people got tired of drafting him in the seventh and eighth round and watching him sit on the bench. So yeah, feel okay if he's going that late. Then yes, he's the best I come from running in there, football. There we go. Uh, you have to remember that Alexander Madison stole all of his handcuff buzz last year. And it pushed him way up That's the boards and, and, and dropped Murray. Yeah, down. and he was in the seventh, eighth round, and look how that worked out. That's yeah. the thing too. Is like I, dude, I, I, Madison bombed. But we've seen Murray just consistently do it in this offense. I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree with you at all on that point. Wide receivers: Michael Thomas could be number one, not being drafted that way. Oh, I thought that. I thought you were going to continue to roll on. No, yeah, that's 100%. it. Yeah, he's we picked, talked about pick number thirty, number nine wide receiver. That's in between AJ Brown and Keenan Allen. Um, yeah, if you just kind of up, if he goes back to a thirty percent market share, he could lead the lead in receptions, and all of a sudden he's going to be. He amazing. should be in front of AJ Brown now that Julio's there. No question about it. I think it's the yardage upside that people are factoring into that. Where if one of them has eighteen hundred yards or two thousand yards, it's probably going to be AJ Brown. But if one of them has 160 sure. catches, it's probably going to be Michael Thomas. And that's that's how yes. I like to structure my teams, especially at the high end. Be like, who's the guy who's going to have nine catches every week? I want that guy. Michael Thomas. Yeah. There you go. And that's Michael Thomas. Uh, so after him, Traquan is still kicking around. Like, Is there a wide receiver you think is worth owning on this team? So you have like Traquan, Marquez Callaway is super fast, uh, Deontay Harris, Kawan Baker. Little Jordan. Little Jordan. Humphrey. Do we want any of these Ron guys? Johnson. Like, is, is Traquan no. actually going to be a real wide receiver, too? I think he could be because if you, again, we're going back to it depends on the quarterback, and we're assuming, hopefully, Jameson's the quarterback. And if Jameson's the quarterback and you're going for those big plays and throwing downfield, and you have a compliment to Michael Thomas, Traquan Smith looks good. Uh, Deontay Harris, more of after the catch. Callaway, you mentioned, is fast. He could do something downfield, but that's more – you have to get past Traquan, and I would still say Traquan's got the edge on Callaway. Little Jordan Humphrey is not little, so maybe he even steps up a little bit more this year. But I think best-case scenario, you're hoping Traquan Smith, and I'd say in that facet, Deshaun Jackson-like, and that he's a wide receiver four with some wide receiver two weeks, but a lot of weeks of frustration. Tight ends, you going to make it happen for Trotman. your boy? You're gonna, if, yeah, if this is the Trotman's year? second year. Second, it's this is the year. It's only second season. I just had to hear about how great he was last year, and you know what? He was not. No, you had to hear how great he was for the future. I never said draft him last year. I said it's definitively don't draft him last year because our most hated player of all time was still on this damn team. So, what's a realistic place to take him? Like, is he a last round tight end that you can put on your team? He's, or yeah, he... he's he's still free right now. No, but is he actually someone that you're drafting in the last round as your tight end? Because you're not yes. taking two tight ends. Yes. 
Yeah, he is a def- definitively somebody I'm taking the last couple rounds. Instead of drafting, trying to hope that one of the tight ends figures something out from the Patriots and it's just not a nightmare or they run 12 and it's just that, that the, the Patriots tight ends feel like Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette. You're just going to pick the wrong one every single week anyway. So instead of at their cost, now granted, I would still take them before I took Troutman, but at cost because you can get Troutman in the last round, all he needs is... 45 receptions, 550 yards, and six or seven touchdowns. And guess what? He's a tight end one because that's all it takes every single year. So I'd rather go for the breakout tight end. So looking at like last round tight ends, if you know, you, you passed on everyone at the top, so here are your options as last round tight ends or last two round tight ends. Evan Ingram, okay. Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, Rob Gronkowski, Trauman, Komet, Jerwin, Ertz, Gerald Everett, Austin Hooper, Ferkser, Hayden Hurst, O.J. Howard, Herndon, Mo Alleycox, and Dalton Schultz, Dawson Knox, Jack Doyle. Like that, those are the guys that are wow. going in that range. Is he your favorite of those guys? No, honestly, he's not. Those are a lot of late tight ends. I don't really this like wow. Nobody wants to draft tight ends, and deservedly so. But I'll take Evan Ingram at that point because now Evan Ingram's nothing. And Evan Ingram still, yes, he dropped a lot last year, but we've seen a lot of people, including Matt Harmon, write about it, that drops are a a dangerous stat to try and get involved with because it can vary from one year to the next, and it's so hard to define what it truly is a receiver drop. Anyway, that's why Pro Football Focus has on target and catchable as two different types of percentages. So I would take Ingram. Uh, I think Komet and Troutman are in the same conversation. I just mentioned the New England guys, and I said I would take the New England guys, even though that seems just to be a, a frustrating situation in the making. Everett, maybe. I'm going back and forth on that. I know everybody's always like, oh, Seattle's getting their tight ends involved. They always get, but it's just, what do we do every single year is tight ends end up just being somebody did good the three games, and then it was somebody else, and then it was Disley, and then somebody, and now they're talking out Colby Parkinson. He's getting some, Seattle just feels like a, a mess every single year at tight end. Okay, let's move on to Carolina. They got safe space, Sam Darnold as their quarterback. <laughs> Seven and a half is their win total. 275 to make the playoffs, 11 to 1 to win the division, 30 to 1 to win the conference, 70 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Is Darnold going to run at all? Uh, he does. He runs for like 200 yards, two or three touchdowns. He sprinkles in a little bit. It's not a ton. By the way, did Tim move him from outside of his top five quarterbacks now that he's not on the Jets anymore? He did. He did drop him down, but he still has an affinity for Sam Darnold. Although I did see that there's a lot of, I mean, I've been to Charlotte. A lot of good barbecue joints around there. I worry that he might end up being like Jared Lorenzen weight by the end of the year. The guy has a, like, (laughs) Sam Darnold has a fat man, like, frame to begin with, and he's just holding it off. Like, the moment that guy stops playing football, he's going to weigh 350 pounds. That would be pretty uh, so, pretty funny. So, I don't think it'll be that much. So I worry that that might hurt his speed a little bit. Because I remember when I lived in Jersey and spent all my time in Manhattan, you know, I was walking around all the time. Like, I, well, I was either taking the subway, I was walking from place to place. I just don't feel like that's the way it's going to work. Unless you just, like, live at the epicenter in Charlotte, then what are you doing? <laughs> so you're really going deep down this narrative for what could happen to Sam Darnold's weight. Yeah, I'm just, I'm very concerned about it. Is all I'm saying. But if not, I feel like he's in a very okay. good situation fantasy wise with a team with a defense. It's like it's his eh, best. Yeah, eh, it's okay. They're gonna be throwing a ton. He got weapons now. One of them's his old weapon. 
Yeah, one of them is old weapon. He's also in the offense that just made Teddy Bridgewater have his best statistical numbers metric-wise. A lot of his numbers, like completion percentage, on-target percentage, yards and stuff like that per attempt. And like a lot of his best numbers, most of his best numbers of his career under Joe Brady and Matt Rule. So Joe Brady and Matt Rule can get Sam Darnold to just fantasy relevance. That's a success. But the good thing here is that you have a very narrow tree again that I know people are talking up Dan Arnold, but I feel like it's the same people that were trying to make Dan Arnold the thing with the Arizona Cardinals is, you know, there's the three wide receivers last year. The three were partly because that Christian McCaffrey wasn't around, but now, okay, it's two because the third receivers are rookie. So you expect them to come along slowly anyway. So you have DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, who Sam Darnold's played with and Christian McCaffrey. And those are the only guys you're concerned about. And they should all be great for fantasy. Are you drafting Sam Darnold anywhere? Is he like, you know, that's because he's not going into like a redraft league one quarterback. Like he's just, he's a streamer yeah. at best. Uh, he's a DraftKings play. But in a super flex league, like what's a viable position for him to go? Is he a QB2? Mm-hmm. Like, is he a QB2 and a 2QB? Yes. I say QB2. I would put him, I'd put him in front of Zach Wilson, even though Zach Wilson's starting from day one because Zach Wilson's a rookie quarterback. Yes, great offensive line, but a lot of questions and you know, who's going to be the better wide receiver, who's breaking out on that team. So I put him kind of in that conversation of Daniel Jones, Carson Wentz. We've seen flashes, although Sam Darnold's flash has probably been the worst out of all of them. But in that same conversation, he's like, you know what? If this team breaks right for him, if the coaching staff gets more out of him than anything you've ever seen before, could he finish his QB 16? Sure. And in a super flex, I've actually taken him. I've actually taken him, I think, once or twice. Maybe. Maybe twice. Okay. DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, your boy, Terrace Marshall Jr. How are we drafting them? Because everyone wants DJ Moore. Everyone wants DJ Moore. But they kind of scale back from where they've been the past few years. He's going at, like, wide receiver number 20 right now. Yeah. I think that you still, at that point, DJ Moore is a nice, that's a fair range for him. If he was up pushing the wide receiver one again, it's the same conversation you and I had last year where people wanted to put him there and DJ Moore was still what he is. He's a mid-high wide receiver too, which is great, but that's kind of the range he falls in just because lacking some of the consistency, some of the touchdown upside, that's the biggest part is DJ Moore is just never going to be like an eight, nine touchdown guy. So it keeps him in that range. Uh, For cost, because uh, I think, uh, I mean, I've seen some of it, but I don't know what you have the numbers, so I haven't looked recently. But I'm assuming at cost, I'm just going to wait for Robbie Anderson, honestly. Yeah, Robbie Anderson, wide receiver number 34. DJ Moore, wide receiver number 20. Pick number 51 for DJ Moore. Pick number 81 for Robbie Anderson. Yeah. So there you go. Just wait on Robbie Anderson, because I don't think the gap is going to be that big. I think I would definitely take DJ Moore every single time. And I do have DJ Moore with a gap over Robbie Anderson, but I don't think it'll be big enough to warrant that much of a cost difference. It's strange because when I look at the projections, that's almost exactly how I have them rated out. Wide receiver 18 for DJ Moore, wide receiver number 30 in half point PPR for Robbie Anderson. Terrace Marshall, I just, I'm having a lot of problems Trying to project him out. Like, David Moore is on this team, too. I think people forget. Oh, good old Seattle David Moore. Yeah. Third re- third target receiver with Seattle at 47 last year. Uh, look, Terrace Marshall, I think, should be the number three. Or he, not think. He should be on talent alone. It's the same thing you and I talked about with the rookie show, though, is Terrace Marshall is an extremely good athlete. He's above average in all aspects. He's a great wide receiver, probably top five pure talent in this last draft class. The problem is he's kind of a lazy route runner and lazy receiver right now, which is going to be on him and the coaching staff to fix because he's look at his tape. 
covered a lot in college because he doesn't care to separate because he's just that much better than everybody else. But that's the upside for him is that if he adds that dimension, you could actually see him having some fantasy relevance. Not quite what we saw last year with all three of the wide receivers finishing inside the top 35, but maybe a wide receiver four, even as a rookie. Okay. Is he someone in hell if Robbie Anderson misses time? Yeah, like, well, here, yeah. the way that I look at it, and maybe it's because uh, Curtis Samuel was getting so many rushing attempts last year, too, but this was an offense that sustained three top 30-ish, like t- three wide receivers within the top 36 last year. It's not like Teddy Bridgewater had a great season by any means. Robbie Anderson couldn't catch a no. fucking touchdown to save his life. So, <laughs> and they still ended up all in there. So if things break a little bit better, like, w- do you see the offense being better or worse with Darnold from Teddy Bridgewater? From a passing standpoint, I see it being better. Uh, you also have to remember, too, that's also without 100-plus targets going Christian McCaffrey's way. All right. Yeah, I suppose that's true. I bet on Sam Darnold to win MVP at 100-1, to 1, now that he's not Anderkirst anymore. <laughs> no no Gase, that no alone, more Anderkirst, pretty good. <laughs> that alone should have moved the needle in Vegas right there. <laughs> uh, McCaffrey, he's going as the first player in fantasy football drafts, as he should. <laughs> it's not even close no question about it dalvin cook is the no. only one you can make an, and i don't even know if i would have dalvin cook number two but i think that dalvin cook is the only one that you can make a case that if everyone played all 17 games and that's what we're trying to factor in here too at the same time that dalvin cook is the only one whose skill set would come to rival what mccaffrey does well i'd say if the fact that we don't already have rumors that barkley's not going to be 100 until week three or four because two years ago Barkley actually outperformed him in a points per game basis. I'm not taking Barkley. I would never do so. I do have Christian McCaffrey definitively. Uh, so I'm with you. I think you could try to make arguments here. And you can honestly, I'll go back to the thing I said before. You could argue Derrick Henry is the safest because he's not coming off the Christian McCaffrey injury. But at the same time, this same coaching staff in the brief time that we saw Christian McCaffrey last year was on the field 97% of the snaps. So even if they scale it back to 90%, it's still going to be more than any other running back out there. Tight ends. You mentioned my guy, Tarzan Dan. He's now in Carolina. Ian Thomas, that didn't really work out all that well uh, when people were trying to draft him a year ago. I don't mind Dan Arnold. Like, obviously, he's a really good athlete. And that gives him, it's not so much that he's a great red zone presence because we've seen him be a decent red zone presence, but, but it's a lot of those like 20 yard seam routes, like right when you're on the edge of the red zone, that's yeah. when he tends to make his best plays because he's really fast. Uh, then he jumps like his vertical is so good that you can just get like, it's you run a seam into double coverage into a, a crossing like nickel and then do a safety over the top and t- Dan Arnold just so much bigger than everyone else. Just chuck it up to him. He's going to go get it. And, it seems like teams don't really care for his well-being at all. They're like, hey, yeah, just go jump and get it. If you get hurt, who cares? You're Dan Arnold. No, that's so – you exactly mentioned in a different way where I was going to go is Dan Arnold is either a bi-week streamer attacking the right defenses or a great DFS play because that's what you're looking for. You mentioned it. Like, Nickel, you're looking for – like the box safeties that you always hear is the ones that are better in run coverage and dropping down. Like you look for vulnerable over the middle teams who also like maybe a lot of three, four defensive teams 
with the lack of speed at linebacker, more rushing linebackers, you're looking for those kind of exploitable defenses and they pop up every single year. And that's, you know, a lot of sites, including you and myself, you know, you have adjusted fancy points allowed, whatever the site calls it. That's the, you know, tight end position gets this against this defense is Dan Arnold is one of those perfect ones. You don't want him seasonal because you don't want to play him every single week. But if you find those matchups, that's where you could go and kind of find, you know, look, my tight end scored 14 this week, despite coming off waivers. Right. Any more thoughts on the NFC South? Who do you think wins this division? Tampa Bay. Like by a lot? Because I think it's going to be pretty competitive. I, I feel like teams like Carolina, just because it's an in, in, intra-division game, are going to give the Bucks like a tough time every – like you're going to see just like 50 to 48 scores it feels like. And that's – yeah, I'm kind of with that. So like my gut says that like the Tampa Bay Bucks – probably don't win but maybe one more game next year but then i sit here and look at the rosters and from like the more analytical side is like the bucks are winning 13 or 14 you bringing back this entire squad after overperforming tom brady's first season and or not overperforming performing great in his first season and winning 11 games 11 feels like i looked back and i was like they really only won 11 games so i i could go both ways with it i could see tampa bay walking away with this division by three or four games honestly Unless these three teams turn out to be better than what their baselines project them to be. Like, they all kind of overachieve. Like, New Orleans is actually better with Jameis than they were last year with the combination of Hill and banged-up, broken ribs Drew Brees. All of a sudden, the Falcons are back to where we kind of... Where people anticipate that they're going to be every year, then they severely underachieve. Then if Carolina kind of builds on what they did last year, maybe Carolina's defense will be better than we think. And, like, it improved, especially at the corner position, a lot last year. And they still have a move. You know the move is coming. Darnold and picks for Deshaun Watson. It's going to be a move. You watch. <laughs> You're waiting for that to come? Uh, I'm just waiting. Banking See, on that. If that happens, well, then, yeah, maybe Carolina can make some noise. Yeah, I probably don't think that's going to happen. But either way, thank you, Jake, <laughs> for talking this through with me. We've done all of the other divisions except for the AFC South. That is coming tomorrow with Establish the Runs, Mike Leone. I hope you've been enjoying these shows. Jake, what do you have to pump right now? Uh, I'm like small hiatus because the draft kit is coming out July 12th, 13th, 14th, somewhere around there. So it's all, it's projection. That's what we've been working on. Draft kit time's coming. Okay. At theathletic.com. Yeah. Theathletic.com. I'll tweet it out a million times as people always say, and probably muted me on Twitter at all in kid. Uh, what's the code, the athletic code that you have? Oh, it won't be a code. It'll just be like click on. So if you click on any draft kit article, it'll automatically apply. Okay, cool. So yeah, go do that. Yeah, so wait for it. Don't wait. do it. Don't sign up now. Just wait two weeks and sign yeah. up and you're going to get a huge discount. Uh, so, oh, it's okay. Huge discount in two weeks at theathletic.com for the draft kit. Powered by Jake Seeley at All In Kit on Twitter. You know you're going to be seeing him on the Pat Mayo experience for basically the next six months. So enjoy that. I know I will. <laughs> 2021 Rocket Mortgage Classic picks, final bets, DraftKings ownership, and the weather for the event this week. You want to help out? Smash the like button to the episode and give me your biggest fade on DraftKings from the top end. Because when we scroll through the ownership, you're going to see basically everyone from Jason Kokrak and up going to be pretty highly owned because there are so few options to round out your rosters this week that everyone's just going towards the top end, it would seem. Also, fantasynational.com slash mayo gets you 20% off right now, so do it.
Okay. The newsletter will be out uh, later on Wednesday evening. I think later on Wednesday evening. I got a lot. Of, I got a lot going on here. It's a holiday tomorrow in Canada. I know that my American pals are celebrating their holiday this weekend, so everyone be safe out there. And I know my UK pals are celebrating England moving on in Europe, which I assume is a national holiday at this point because it's coming. Cuss has picked them to win, so just wait for some heartbreak. It's gonna be against like the worst team too. You know that it's coming. Eventually, uh, subscribe to Mayo Media Network, uh, leave a rating and review, and Pat Mayo Experience full-length episodes on Wednesday and Thursday, AFC South, NFC South, with Mike Leone and Jake Seeley from TheAthletic.com, and that will end our division preview series, player-by-player, team-by-team, for the 2021 fantasy football season to get you all caught up on what has been going on daily. Wimbledon picks are up on Mayo Media Network right now, so please go subscribe to that. If you missed the announcement, Fantasy Golf Degenerates with Tambo and Kenny Kim coming to Mayo Media Network starting next Monday. And the European Tour Pick Show for the Irish Open already out on the Mix Feed and up on Mayo Media Network. Sky and Tom, I tailed some of their picks this week and then made one random one on my own. So let's dig into that. Let's talk about the picks for the Rocket Mortgage. Uh, I went with Kokrak, 28-1. to 1. He's my high-end play of the week. Frankly, I didn't invest a ton into this tournament. I don't know what's going to go on. Reports out of Detroit are that we could see the minus 25 score from two years ago from Nate Lashley actually get beat this time around, especially with the course playing a bit soft with all the rain that they've had so far. So I don't know what's going to happen this week. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen any week, but usually I feel like I I have a lane that I want to go down that I try to commit to that... I have some confidence in. Now, whether it works out and normally does not work out, at least I feel good going into the week. I have no fucking clue this week about what's going on. But I like Kokrak. So Kokrak, 28 to 1. Hego, my guy, 50 to 1. See, whoo, Kim, 66 to 1 with the top five each way. Mad, Max, Homa, 70 to 1 with the top five each way. Shezrevian, Seb Strachan, 90 to 1 with the top five each way. Let's get lucky this week. The Bombs, Norlander, 160 to 1 with the top five each way. And I said, screw it. The model told me Tyler McCumber looks like a good play. Why not? 400, sorry, 300 to 1 with the top five each way on that. I got my FOMO play at Doug Gim. Gim Chi, the Gim Reaper. 125 to 1 with the top five each way. I say he's down to 70 to 1 in some spots. I don't know. What's gonna be. Everyone's on Doug Gim, I guess. I went back to the first round leader market this week to have some fun because I didn't know what else to do for Thursday. Hubbard, Norlander, Stallings, all 100 to 1. Bramlett, 125 to 1. McCumber and Luke Donald, 175 to 1. Those are all with the top five each way. On the European tour, I got my guy, Lucas Ibel. He's 33 to 1. Wilco, 75 to 1 with the top five each way. And Norman, that's supposed to be with two ends. The guy who made the hole in one on the par four last week in Germany. 110 to 1 with the top five each way. Uh, check out the cheat sheet for the one and dones because I completely forget who I took. Uh, Will Zalatoris was Tim's pick. I believe Kokrak is Jeff's pick. I think I took Si Wu. Now I can't remember because it's me. I have it written down in the other room, but I don't want to get up from the chair and have to go do that. But those are the picks for the week. Uh, looking at the weather, it's actually kind of interesting because there could be an AM, and I'll throw this in the newsletter, the link to, well, it's windfinder.com, and it's Detroit City Airport is the wind tower that I'm using. So it's showing me that there's going to be very little wind in the morning on Thursday, and it picks up throughout the course of the day. Nothing significant. 
uh, but gusts get up to like 14 or 15 rather than the five or eight miles per hour in the morning. But it does look like there is some rain in the forecast for Thursday afternoon as well. So that entire wave just might get wiped out and moved into the next day. And then you have Friday where winds are up kind of all day long from the morning. You're looking at like 21 mile per hour gusts, 20 mile per hour gusts. But that's consistent all day long. It doesn't seem like there's any advantage AM or PM wise unless everyone from the Monday, the Thursday light wave gets pushed into there, but it's like going to be like thunderstorms. So it might rain for like 20 minutes. Then guys get back on the course. This stuff is even harder to predict than making golf winners is predicting the weather for golf when you try to separate it into waves. However, right now it does look like the Thursday AM is going to be pretty decent. Wind is down. It's going to rain overnight. So conditions are going to be super soft and the weather looks like it's up. It's going to be like 68 degrees in the morning versus like 57, 59 in the morning on Friday. Then you get into Saturday, pretty flat across the board. Even Sunday, no rain, very little wind to speak of. So Friday is probably the day that you're going to have to watch out for if guys just automatically like somehow blow up or don't shoot a 62 or something. It's probably because there's significant wind on Friday. And hopefully that the rain doesn't affect anything too much because we got to get on to Silvis. We need to get on to John Deere. Frankly, like the move is, and now I, now that I've switched time zones and I'm up with the kids super early, I'm pumped. Like the Irish Open's going to be on, the Scottish Open's going to be on. Gonna fill my mornings up pretty easily here for the next two weeks. Then, of course, the Open Championship, which means I get to sleep in an hour later or stay up an hour later, depending on how you look at it, uh, and the method that you take to watch the very beginning of the Open Championship, where they tend to show all the shots on Golf Channel starting very early in the morning. It's probably the best coverage outside of the Masters for any of the majors. Hopefully, the app is good. Probably won't be, but here's to hoping. I feel like it was two years ago, or at least it was the year Molinari won, I think. Feel like the Open Championship app was good that year, but you know I forget these things. We rag on the PGA app all the time because it's not good but compared to these like the non-Masters major apps. It is fucking tremendous. So you know, don't uh, be so upset about the about the app when it comes down to it. Ownership for the week. Like I mentioned, everyone, Kokrak and above, all trending in double-digit ownerships. Bryson and Kokrak do stick out as the two highest-owned. Neiman and Zalatoris probably the two after that, but they're probably pretty interchangeable. It does seem like a lot of people may go to Patrick Reed. I did not. I didn't play Bryson or Patrick Reed, even my 150 build. Let's get tricky this week. Hopefully Bryson just absolutely phones it in or doesn't gain eight strokes putting again. If he gains two strokes putting and then... He probably ends up being a pretty good fade with the way that he's hitting his irons and just his around the green work right now. But Kokrak's going to be my guy. Moving down the list, if you're looking for pivots in the $9,000 range, it's going to be Sungjae. It's going to be Bubba. It's going to be Jason Day, Ricky Fowler. It's funny. Uh, people haven't updated their Fantasy National stuff yet, so it does show Charlie Hoffman still carrying more ownership than Jason Day, despite the fact that he is withdrawn from this tournament. Uh, you can take a, a poke here and there. Uh, it looks to be pretty flat uh, in the lower... $8,000 range. Homa, Higo, and Tringali are the ones adding a bit of ownership here, all like 12 to 15%. Maybe everyone gloms on to one of them, but it doesn't seem like there's any one that really pops out. I actually did use Phil as a pivot in this range, uh, even in my 20 build. Just no one's using Phil here, and why not? Like, he's going to hit the ball fine off the tee. The approaches have been really good. We can see him get streaky hot with the putter. Uh, I think drafting scoring-wise that he'll be really good. I want to bet him at that number, but at a 3% Phil in that range, it's a nice way to get away from some of that chalk, as is Brendan Todd, who Andy Lack brought up on the show. I ended up going with the Todd father, faded Redmond, who is going to be around like 13 to 16%. But then you have McNeely, Straka, 
those two guys are probably going to be between, again, like 11 to 16, depending on where people come down in this area. Shez and Stanley should probably remain 10% and below. I really like Shez a lot. Obviously, I bet him to win. I actually like him more than Straka, despite the fact that I bet both of them. I would go with Shez in that neighborhood. Going down, Lebiota and Cam Davis seem to be garnering a bit of ownership. Maybe they crack double digits in the lower sixes. Norlander is all the way up to eight, although I think the general public won't be on Norlander as much. So expect him in the single digits. There's no one really in the $6,000 range that really sticks out. Like Shank is getting a little bit, and when I say a little bit, like 4%. Yeah, and that's it. Don't use Jim Konos. Vote for Kang, because he withdrew as well. Von Taylor maybe gets 5%. Bramlett maybe gets up to around like 6 7%. But again, he's just, Joseph Bramlett's a player that people outside of the very insular golf, like Twitter, DraftKings world, they don't know who the hell that is. So I wouldn't expect too much of the public to be on him when it comes down. From down there, I used Piercy and Norlander. Those were my two main plays from the upper sixes. I did use a little bit of McCumber at the bottom as well. I tried not to go too much into the sixes, although this seems like a week to go into the sixes. I just didn't know who to take, so I stuck in that like bottom sevens most of the time. Try to keep it quick for you. That will be the end of me playing the Listener's League link if there's any spots available. As I was recording this, there was around 80 spots left, so maybe by the time this is out... You can do that. I got football coming up for a full-length show. It's already out on the YouTube channel. You can catch it up on the pod feed. Then another football show the next day, and then some more huge announcements. Oh, there was a huge announcement last night as well. The Dogger Pass podcast, obviously in an off week for the UFC right now. Everyone should go subscribe to the Dogger Pass podcast because not only will they be continuing their Wednesday evening fight-by-fight, bet-by-bet show, Cody Saftik is adding a show to the Dogger Pass podcast on Sunday mornings. I think it's going to come out. He is going to review the UFC card from the week before and do a brief look ahead of UFC, Bellator, and PFL for the week to get you ready if you need demand, nay, some UFC content, some MMA content. We're just going to give you more Cody in your life because the peoples love Cody and I love Cody. And we're going to give him another show on the Dogger Pass podcast. So I'm really looking forward to that. Making moves at Mayo Media Network. Expect three, two or three huge announcements coming out uh, within probably the next 10 days or so as well. Very excited for it, okay? I'm Pat Mayo. Thank you all for watching. Good luck this week at the Rocket Mortgage Classic. I'll see you next time. Experience! Experience!